for you. All right, let's jump to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where we are, and we'll be beginning in verse 11 this morning. We've said in this series, 1 1 to 247 was the birth of the church in Jerusalem. Jesus risen from the dead, final instructions to his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, he, he poured forth the Holy Spirit, just as he said, into the lives of his people, and they began to live on mission with Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 7, this is the next section of the letter, and it's about the expansion of the church in Jerusalem. I showed you last week that we're going to see the apostles getting um, brought in before the authorities and told to no longer preach in this name, and they're going to say, listen, we have to obey God rather than men. They're going to warn them, let them go. Eventually, they're going to arrest them again and say, we told you to quit preaching, and yet you have filled this city with this teaching. This gospel is going to expand. And in 6-7, when Luke gets to the end of this section, he's going to tell us that even some of the priests have believed. And so that's the section we're in, the expansion of the church within Jerusalem. And as we said last week, this expansion of the gospel and of the church in Jerusalem is going to happen in the face of persecution. It's going to happen in the face of moral compromise. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it will happen in the face of the temptation to be distracted from the truth of God's word to false teaching. And we'll see it over the next several weeks. But we started last week in verses 1 to 10, and we saw the healing of this lame man. He'd been lame for over 40 years. And they used to take him and set him before the beautiful gate there at the temple. And he would beg for money, for help. And Peter and John were going to the temple for prayer. And this man reached out to them, help. And Peter and John looked at him. And the man certainly expected to receive something from them. And they said, silver and gold have we none. But what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Arise. As I said last week, I think this man had probably heard about Jesus. He probably saw Jesus, heard of his power, heard of his authority, and probably had hopes that maybe one day Jesus would do something awesome for him. I think when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise, this man knew Jesus can heal me. Jesus can change my life. And he reached out to Peter, and Peter picked him up. And this lame man went to leaping and dancing and praising God. Jesus Christ changed his life. We saw in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate and at the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We encouraged ourselves last week that Jesus Christ can change a life. And that life is often on display before an unbelieving world. Those who knew this man as lame now saw him leaping and they were taking note. Is this the same guy who used to be but is now? 
your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, the men and women, boys and girls who surround you are watching. And are they taking note of a life that has been marked by the grace of Jesus Christ? We encouraged ourselves last week to live a distinct life empowered by the Holy Spirit that God might use to attract to the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Apostle Peter said, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in a thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, as a follower of Christ, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine because the light of your life can be a boon to the gospel. It may provide an opportunity to share about Jesus. And that's exactly what happened here. The people saw, they were taking note. And in verse 11, while he, this man who had been healed, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Peter's going to take this opportunity to preach the gospel. And just to say something on the front end, there's not going to be anything special about this message. We're just going to see what Peter preached. And hopefully it'll be an encouragement to us. Maybe it will even be equipping for us as we think about the opportunities we have to tell others about Jesus. In verse 12, when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us? as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. This man was clinging to Peter and to John. The people were running together, and certainly Peter saw something in their eyes maybe, or maybe in things that they were saying, that made him think that they were thinking way too much of them. Why are you amazed? Why do you gaze at us? As if it was our own power or piety by those that made him walk. So it's not us in verse 12. Rather, it was God through his son Jesus. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you but put to death the prince or the author of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Whenever you and I have the opportunity to share the gospel, we talk about Jesus. And Peter proclaimed Jesus as the Holy One, the Righteous One, the author of life. Jesus was the eternal Son of God who became a man for us and for our salvation. And to accomplish our salvation, He lived a holy life that you and I could not live. Had Jesus Christ been a sinner 
then when he had gone to the cross, he would have been paying for his own sin. But he was holy. He was righteous. He never, ever sinned. This also becomes the basis of when you and I come to that place of realizing that we are sinners and realizing that we need righteousness from God that we do not have in and of ourselves, it's this righteousness of Jesus that gets imputed to our account. He dies for our sins. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but he will die for our sins. But then the righteousness which he possesses, God counts as if we possess it. It's amazing. So Peter preaches and proclaims a Jesus who is holy and righteous, who is himself the author of life. And Peter also preaches that he was delivered over, disowned, and sent to death. In verse 13, the one you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Don't turn there, but let me just read you in Luke chapter 23. If you're unfamiliar with this story, Jesus had been brought to Pilate. And accusations had been made that this man is claiming to be a king. And Pilate didn't seem so threatened by Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. Pilate, at that point, being unthreatened, didn't think much of it. But he heard that Jesus was from Galilee, and so he figured, I'll send him to Herod and and see what Herod has to say. And so he sent Jesus to Herod, who was visiting in Jerusalem in those days. Herod was looking forward to visiting with Jesus. He'd heard about him. He wanted to see if Jesus would do a miracle for him, but Jesus remained silent the entire time in Herod's presence. And Herod and his men began to mock Jesus. They put a robe around him, hailed him, as the king of the Jews, but they sent him back to Pilate. Chapter 23, verse 13, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people. This is Pilate. He's he's the Roman governor, and he, he calls the Jewish leaders in again. And he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. He was obligated to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was the one who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again and kept on calling out. But they kept on calling out saying, Crucify! Crucify Him! And He said to them a third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I found no guilt in Him, demanding death. Therefore, I will punish Him and release Him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. Their voices began to prevail. and Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted 
And he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. The crowds come and Jesus and Peter proclaims, Jesus is the holy and the righteous one, the very author of life, whom they delivered over, disowned, calling for a criminal, a murderer instead. And in verse 15, you put to death the author of life. But God raised him and God glorified him. You put to death the author of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. This is a note that's good for me every time I go through the book of Acts, and maybe it's good for you to note as well. There have been so many times in my Christian life when I've had an opportunity to share the gospel I don't do it anymore because of being confronted with the Word of God. But I used to talk about the the greatness of God and the fact that we, though made in the image of God, have all sinned against Him. And the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. We, We deserve His wrath forevermore. We are without hope because of our sin. But... But God, in his great love for us and from his gracious heart, he sent Jesus Christ to die upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Now that's some good preaching. But what I would often fail to to proclaim as well is that God sent Jesus Christ to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then God raised him from the dead. The truth is, folks, that Jesus Christ is alive. He is not dead. He died in our place and for our sins. But God, his father, vindicated him. Raised him from the dead exalted him to his right hand, to the place of power and of rule and of reign and of glory. That's what Paul Peter means when he says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This holy, righteous one who was delivered over to death, God raised him from the dead and glorified him. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, the author of Hebrews would say. Very practically what this means. It means a lot of things, but it may mean this for you today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe a friend invited you, maybe... You found us online. Maybe you've been coming a long time, but but you've never put your trust in Jesus. You're wondering whether or not 
He has the power to change your life. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not some dead religious leader who lived some 2,000 years ago, got in trouble with some Jewish authorities, and got himself crucified. He was crucified, but God raised him from the dead. And friends, he can change your life today. I'll show you how in a minute. Jesus is the holy, righteous one who was delivered over to death, but God raised him and glorified him. Jesus is alive and is still changing lives. See the lame man who was healed, verse 16, on the basis of faith in his name, in Jesus' name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Not that you're asking, but this is the verse that leads me to believe that this lame man had heard about Jesus had maybe even seen Jesus, knew of Jesus, such that when Peter looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus, I think he knew, he knew of Christ. Maybe he was hoping and longing. I think it's kind of like Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector was a sinner. He was lumped in with the sinner's the worst. And yet he had seen Jesus and he had heard of Jesus. And I think, boy, he was thinking, man, that all sounds great, but it's probably not for somebody like me. And then Jesus showed up one day and said, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Me? You mean you'll take a tax collector? You'll take a sinner? You'll take the worst? You'll take me? Yes. The lame man, Jesus will heal me. He reached out in faith. He believed that Jesus Christ was who he said that he was and he could do what he said he would do. Faith, he put his faith in Jesus. In verse 17, Peter will turn from the lame man who was healed and get real practical with his audience. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. They didn't know. They just didn't know that he was the holy and righteous one. They didn't know that he was the author of life. They acted in, in ignorance. As did the rulers, verse 18, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. God is at work in and through the ignorance and the sinful choices of humanity to accomplish his greater purposes in the world. Therefore, repent and return. 
so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive into the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Let's back up and get where we're going. Jesus is the holy and righteous author of life, but he was delivered over, disowned, and sent to death. But God raised him and glorified him. Jesus is alive and is still changing lives. And he can change yours too. Peter turns to his audience and says, this is what Jesus did for the lame man. And he can do something magnificent for you as well. You sinned. But if you will repent and return three things, your sins will be wiped away. Wiped away. That word is used in the Revelation chapter 21 of that coming day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus wipes away sins now. And one day he will wipe away every tear from his people. Every one of us have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's at the core our problem. The lame man was lame. And that was terrible. And Jesus healed him. But Jesus doesn't heal every lame man in this age. He will in the age to come. But that was what he did for that man as a picture of what he can and will do for everyone who will turn to him for the forgiveness of their sins. He has the power to forgive them You may be here today and you're thinking, I would love a relationship with God, but he can't have somebody like me. I'm sure that he won't. My sins are too many. They are too broad. They are too deep. They are too ugly. They are too, 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 too. Friends, if you will hear me based on the word of God, that's why Jesus came. Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Timothy. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the worst. Are you a sinner? Do you think there's no hope? Your sins may be wiped away. To those who repent, your sins are wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Probably what that means, in light of what Peter had just preached on the day of Pentecost, when he was given an opportunity to preach on that occasion and he called upon the people to repent for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 2, 
repent, believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 3, repent and believe in Jesus, your sins will be wiped away and times of refreshing will come. Probably times of refreshing means the Holy Spirit of God will come into your life to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you rest, to give you life. Maybe you're here and you're just going, life's a pit. I'm a sinner and it has made my life miserable. Jesus Christ can wash away your sins, give you his Holy Spirit, his very presence to refresh you. Paul would say this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Peace, we have joy. He says in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have security. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So total forgiveness is promised. Spiritual refreshment is promised. And then hope. Is promised. Verse 20, that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. Now this is looking forward to the second coming. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. We got to move fast. But here's what I think Peter has in mind. That whenever a person comes to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, He wipes away their sins. He gives them the Holy Spirit, which brings about spiritual refreshment. Life and joy and peace and guidance and security and love and you name it. And the hope of the age to come when Jesus will return to make all things new. Let me just read a couple of verses to you in Romans chapter 8 in the context of suffering Paul says for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All of creation groans. But one day, there's going to be, as Peter would call it, the full restoration, a new heavens and a new earth. I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, just because the language is so strong. Listen to this. He's looking 
forward. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then finally in Revelation chapter 21, 22 I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Finally and quickly, Peter, having proclaimed Jesus, the holy and righteous author of life, who was put to death, but God raised him from the dead and exalted him, glorified him, who is therefore still at work changing people's lives. He can change yours too if you will repent. He will wipe away every sin. He will give his Holy Spirit and bring spiritual restoration or refreshment to your soul in the hope of one day when he will come again to restore all things and make all things new. Peter then says, this is serious business. Take heed and don't refuse it. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. This is Deuteronomy 18. There are older prophecies in the Old Testament, back into Genesis and Exodus and the like, but this is one of those early Pentateuchal promises. Moses said, one day God's going to raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. Peter believes that Jesus is that prophet. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. Whenever you remember when Jesus was baptized, the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. At the transfiguration, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hearkening back to the promise of Deuteronomy 18 that a prophet would come. Listen to him. Give heed to him. Verse 23, and it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. This is the, the harsh reality of biblical truth. That there is judgment against sin. The wages of sin is death. If you refuse the grace and the kindness of God through his son Jesus to forgive your sins and to give you the Holy Spirit, 
and the promise of eternal life and the new heavens and new earth, if you refuse it, you will be separated from him forevermore. The words of Peter utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking to his Jewish audience and saying, this promise goes all the way back to Abraham. Remember, God said to Abraham, your seed, one of your descendants is going to come and all the families of the earth will be blessed through that seed, that descendant. Jesus is that one. For you first, the Jewish people, God raised up his servant, sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. It's time to go. But that's some good preaching from Peter. You and I would do well maybe to follow in his footsteps. Quickly. If you don't know Jesus, how do you respond to the reality that he is the holy and righteous one who died, but whom God raised from the dead and exalted, glorified, who is alive and who will one day come again? How do you respond to him? Peter is clear. Repentance. Repentance is, is a turning from your own efforts to trusting in Jesus. It's a turning from sin in humility for forgiveness. So many hear the gospel message that through believing in Jesus Christ, you can be saved, you can be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. And I think so many can sometimes come with a sense that says, say that you mean I can be forgiven and keep on living? I.e., as I always have? You mean I can continue in my rebellion? I, I can be forgiven and keep on living as I was? That's not a heart of repentance. Or I can see it, I can say a prayer and I'll be there. That's not the heart of repentance. The heart of repentance is, the, is, is when you hear that you have sinned and you go, yes, I have. When you hear that the wage of sin is death and you go, sounds right to me. I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal death. But it's, it's when you hear the love of God through Jesus Christ and you go, I'm a sinner and I, I get it. I deserve eternal condemnation, but he did what? You mean I can, my sins can be forgiven and I can be helped by him? I want Jesus. I think that's a repentant heart. It's the heart that, that if you will, gets it and turns to him. You can turn to him right now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward. You only have to close your eyes, but in the quietness of your own heart, you can confess your sins to God and confess to him that you believe that he sent Jesus Christ to be your savior, to die upon that cross for you, to rise from the dead for your salvation. And you can say, Lord, as best I know, I want to trust in him. I don't want to trust in myself anymore. 
I want to trust in him. And then finally, I think for those of us who do know Jesus, that very last phrase is just a good reminder. God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. That God forgives us of all of our sins and he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might walk in newness of life. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. May God give us grace to turn from our wicked ways, to never make peace with our sin that we daily struggle with, but by his grace to fight the good fight, turn from sin, to pursue righteousness, that we might glorify him and bring blessing to our world. Let's pray. Father, this is meat and potatoes stuff. This is apostolic truth of the holy, righteous, author of life, Jesus whom we disowned and delivered over, crucified, crucified. It was my sin that held him there. But you raised him from the dead, glorified him to your right hand. He is the Lord. He is the king. Father in heaven, would you help us, the men, women, and children here at Redeemer who know Christ? To love him, to worship him, to follow him, to proclaim him. In all of his glory and in all of the goodness that he brings to those who will turn to him. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. And Lord, for any that are here today that don't know him, would you open the eyes of their heart that they might see their sin, but see the glory and the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. They would turn to him and cling to him and find new life. And we'll pray this in his strong and saving name. In the name of Jesus, amen.